Hello and welcome to season two of Chatting to a Friend. Season one was the most amazing experience for me and the life lessons and wisdom I learned from my guests, plus the fun I had was absolutely beyond my wildest dreams. The goal for season two is to add more variety and diversity to my guest list. I absolutely love adventure and sport and so those will still feature heavily, but I wanted to talk to more women who have very different life experiences to mine, careers, backgrounds and challenges that I wanted to learn more about to widen my understanding and broaden my horizons. I realise there's a lot of me, me, me in this intro, but it's because I still feel like it's the most extraordinary privilege for me to talk to and learn from these women. And so even if no one's listening, it remains the most personal of all my projects. Having said that, from the amazing feedback I've had and how much you have kept listening between seasons, I know you're going to love these conversations too. Please don't forget to rate and review the podcast either on Apple or on lovethepodcast.com forward slash chatting to a friend. I can't wait to hear how you love season two. Today's guest is a force of nature. Sunny Lawrence is the wife of, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he is known as the Iron Cowboy and he is James Lawrence. And I'm not always massively keen to introduce somebody as the wife of, or the husband of, or, you know, in relation to someone else, but he is perhaps the more well-known of the two. Having broken world records and done really amazing, amazing events, he did 50 Ironmen in 50 states in 50 days. He's this year just done the Conquer 100, which was a hundred Ironman distance triathlons in a hundred days. And Sonny is his unbelievably supportive and phenomenal wife. And in this conversation, we talk about how with five children and a husband with that level of ambition, does she make her own life? Does she feel like her own person and keeps time for herself and manages the inevitable stresses and strains that come with being the supporter and the spouse of somebody like James? We talk a lot about her background and about her faith and how she works through not being able to live the really organized life that she would like to because of the nature of her husband's career. It's a really inspiring conversation. She is really quite something else, full of enthusiasm and motivation and uh, some good old fashioned home truths. She is brilliant. Hi, Sunny. How are you today? I am excellent. Thank you. Um, I'm just so excited to speak to you. Genuinely, I was such a huge fan and a follower of uh, the Conquer 100. And I really wanted to chat to you because I'm sure lots of people want to hear his story, but I think it's really important to know about the backbone of these efforts because it can be as much, if not sometimes more, to be the chief supporter. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. It's uh, It's been an incredible journey. And frankly, James and I, through all these projects, have very different journeys. Mm. So definitely hear a different story based on who you interview and who you talk to. And because this was not, shall we put it, not his first rodeo, he has been a man of many challenges over the years. And when you met him, 
did you know that this would be your life? I mean, presumably not exactly, but did you, was he always that kind of driven? He was always a dreamer. So when we very first met, uh, we were in college and he told me he wanted to be a professional golfer. Mm -hmm. And because my dad was an entrepreneur, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, oh, cool. Mm -hmm. You know, he kind of pursued that for a little while and the cards weren't in his favor. And he acknowledged that and was like, you know, this isn't the right thing for me. It's not going the way it's supposed to go. And I just have a feeling I'm supposed to be doing something else. Mm. So from the very beginning, I knew he was a non-conventional person and was working to achieve a non-conventional lifestyle. Mm. And uh, I guess I didn't even think twice about it. And so I do want to talk about him, obviously, and his challenges. But I want to know a little bit more about you and who you were before you met him and how you have evolved with the evolution of his sort of influence, if you like, or his his projects. And you yeah. are a native of Utah. Uh-huh, yep. And you did a degree in psychology. And did you, what kind of childhood did you have though? Was it, was it a sporty childhood? Was it outdoorsy? I grew up seventh of eight kids. Wow. And, um, I, all I cared about growing up was sports. Now these days, that's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Back in the eighties, that was extremely uncommon, especially for a girl. Yeah. So I dreamed my whole life and wished my whole life that I was a boy. Mm-hmm. And I used to beg my dad for a mohawk. And he used to say, <laughs> you can get one when you're 18. And I was like, but I want one now. So all I cared about was sports. I played mostly basketball and softball. Um, I did dabble in other things, but I was a gymnast uh, for quite a while. And, you know, I, I'm quite muscular. So I excelled at things like gymnastics mm-hmm. or um, anything that required strength. But it was all I cared about. I mean, I wanted to watch the jazz play and I wanted to, you know, be out doing stuff all the time. So if I was out with my friends, it was like I wanted to be skiing and playing basketball and kickball and dodgeball and tag. And um, so, you know, sports was always quite a natural thing for me. As I've gotten older, I I never I never really had that competitive desire. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to have fun and be moving. But as I've gotten older, I certainly have lost my taste for what sports have kind of turned into. Mm. They are, I mean, literally it's like, if you don't marry the sport, the one sport, then you don't, you can't play it, right. <laughs> you know? So yeah. and my kids actually are big into sports, which is interesting because they come from very athletic people. But I, I mean, growing up, that was all I cared about till I hit high school. So. And what did it give you? What, what was it that kept you doing it, driving you? I loved movement, anything that was movement. So I wasn't a moving, a movie person. I didn't want to sit down and watch a movie. Mm. Are you kidding? I wanted to go out and <laughs> run around and explore and play in the mountains and ride my bike. I didn't, I didn't have a car until I was 25. Wow. I rode my bike everywhere. And that's unusual for here. Mm. You know, it's common in other places, but that's not common for here. So anything where I was moving, I just loved movement. So even now when I read a book, I'll do it on the stepper or... <laughs> I rarely nestle in. I just, I loved movement and sports was an organized way to do that. But as I got older, I lost interest in it because it was so competitive. And mm. if you didn't, you know, want to kill your other team, the other <laughs> team, and the coaches were like, uh, you're not right for us. So I, I lost interest as I got older, as people got a little more cutthroat. As you said, when you got to high school, that sort of faded away. Yeah, I lettered, I uh, played the varsity team when I was <clears throat> away at school for a bit. But then when I came back to Utah, 
I just, I, I just lost interest in it. I wanted to pursue other things. And, you know, I had a couple coaches that kind of soured me to the sport, but that's what appealed so much to me about triathlon is one, I already loved to bike and run. Mm. And then I just needed to learn to swim, but it was, it was a mature way to play sports. And, you know, I play pickleball and stuff now. And, you know, I played pickup basketball for years with other adult women but those you have to organize and they get complicated when you're playing with other moms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're the organizer, you have to show up every week where the other moms have the luxury of showing up if they want to kind yeah. of thing. So I was like, yeah, I don't, this isn't working for me anymore. So that's what I liked about triathlon is it was an independent sport. It was just you and you know, you were in charge of you and you could take it to whatever level you wanted to, or you could do it for fun or so I think that's what appealed to me about that. And and was it you that got James into competing? Yeah. So he was a he was a wrestler. So he was more of a gym rat. And uh, I was a runner, and I wanted to do some running events and such. And so I kind of baited him into those. <laughs> and then he found triathlon, which he enjoyed the variety. He's never really loved running, but triathlon, multi sport, gave him room to kind of do all three. And he'd done a couple triathlons growing up with his dad through the scouting system or something, you know, or through the city. I mm. don't know. Calgary, but, um, then I was like, Oh man, the sport has cycling too. It's not mm-hmm. just running, which I loved riding mm. my bike. And then I learned to swim when I was, I, I faked the swim for a long time. Cause I had so <laughs> many kids. I couldn't commit that much time. But once my kids started getting a little bit older, I committed to learn to swim. So I didn't learn to swim till I was like 30. Mm. And that's what I liked about it. It was a challenge at that age. When you're that age, you rarely do things that are hard or learn new things. Yes. People kind of settle into life and then there's no more growth. So I enjoyed learning to swim when I was 30. And what do you think that brought you in a on a bigger scale, learning something to do something hard? Because swimming is not actually an easy sport to learn to do well late in life. No, it definitely isn't. I think, you know, as we get older, our brains don't do as well at multitasking or swimming. There are so many different things you're thinking about mm. at the same time. Golf's the same way, right? There's so many different things to be thinking about mm. at the same time. But I just, I love a good challenge. <laughs> I love, I love when things are hard. Yeah. And so for that to be hard, I used to swim five days a week and people would say, why do you work out so much? And I said, oh, this isn't working out. This is like practicing the piano. Uh, I'm in the pool to practice swimming the way I would practice the piano. It's yeah. not workout for me. It's practicing drills and learning to master that. And, you know, I still, I'm like a, I'm a very confident swimmer. And I think that's the most important part. Mm. I'm no, you know, speed goat in there, but I'm definitely confident. If you were to throw me out in the middle of the ocean, I'd be like, okay, well, what's next? You know? <laughs> I think that's the most important part. And I enjoy it. I really mm. enjoy it. Do you get the sort of, cause I'm a terrible swimmer and, and, and everyone always bemoans that says, you know, cause I'm nearly six feet tall. So I have long levers and my husband always says, you should really swim because you've, you've just got the great, a good build for it. Yeah. But people I know that are good swimmers or confident swimmers, as you say, it, it, I think they find the flow and the meditative state of just the, like you were going, you were saying about the movement. I, I hear that it just, when you get used to it and you can manage all the elements that it's really a beautiful thing to be in the flow. It is incredibly therapeutic. Like I hit that water and I'm like, why is this the most amazing thing I've ever done? Uh-huh. And if, you know, when I'm doing it, I feel like in my mind, I feel like I'm on vacation uh-huh. you know, swimming in the ocean or it's just, 
I don't know what it is about being in that water. I don't know if it's from, you know, being in the amniotic fluid in your mm-hmm. mother's womb or what, but it is truly therapeutic. And it, I just feel like I go to a place. So that's the part that I struggle with, with endurance sports mm. is when I get water, I want to be present and enjoy the beauty of being there when the sport requires you to be concentrating on your swim sets. You know, <laughs> That's more of my jam is to get on my bike and head out to the mountains and just be enjoying everything around me and get caught up in the moment mm. as opposed to watching my power and my pedal stroke, you know? So, yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause I think there, there is a time for that as well. Uh, there's a time for all of it, but you're right. Sometimes, what do they call it? Riding naked or what? I can't remember what they call it. Just when you just, you don't wear your Garmin, you don't wear your heart rate strap. You just go and ride. And see, I did all that when I was younger and now that I'm older, I'm like, I just want to enjoy my life. I don't, I don't need that push anymore. And it used to be, I had so many young little kids that I needed that as an escape or I needed that for like personal development Mm. where now I have other things that I can use or turn to for personal development and growth that, that I can just enjoy. I can keep doing it and, you know, not racing. It's the training I've always liked anyway. I've never liked the racing, but that way I can still do these things, but I enjoy them. It's, it's riding naked, right? It's not (laughs) watching. Yeah. And did you, always make time because you have five kids four boys four girls and a boy that's right isn't it and have did you always know from when you started having kids that you needed to make time for you always always in fact um when I had my first two girls I worked until my second daughter was about a year and a half old Mm. And what I would do is I worked an early early shift so I had to be to work by 5 30 but I would get up at three in the morning I would go to the gym, a 24-hour gym. Then I would come get showered. I would go to work. And then I would nap with them when I got off at noon. Wow. So I would we would nap together. And then we'd, I'd get up and I'd spend the rest of the day with my girls. James watched him in the morning. We worked opposite, shift, opposite shifts. So uh-huh. I even then, I was like, I got to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to get my workout in before my day starts with my kids. But the thing is, is that was time for me. Mm. So up for that alarm was hard, but it wasn't as hard as an alarm getting up for work, right? I was getting up for me. Yeah. So I always, my whole life, I've always found a way to make time for myself, even if it was just, you know, going out in the backyard and taking 10 breaths. Mm. I, I would always find a way to make time, even if it was complicated. Yeah. You know? No, that's really impressive because. I know from my own personal experience that has never not been my experience till very recently. And do you find that under sort amongst your girlfriends, your mum friends, that that that's not the norm? Do you find oh, that you are absolutely. frustrated by seeing mums just giving everything to everybody else? Well, it's one or the other. You know, when you're in endurance sports, which like I said, I'm not in them anymore, but for the time mm. when I was in them, it was either moms that like completely abandoned their family and all they cared about was their sport Mm -hmm. or, you know, they were like, I'm taking time for me, but they weren't being moms, you know, or it, you know, so they claim they're taking time for themselves or it's people who absolutely don't make any time for themselves. And it's interesting because I, my mom did not make time for herself. I mean, she had eight kids in 10 years. Uh, you know, the times were different back then anyway. Mm. 
And she, my dad was an entrepreneur, so she always helped run his business. So as far as I was concerned, especially where I was at the bottom end of the family, my mom worked my whole childhood. Yeah. And um, my mom, you know, she would like quilt with friends or something, but even now she's in her mid seventies and they actually live in my basement. And I'll say things like, well, why don't you get together with some of these ladies in our neighborhood and go do this, you know, senior lunch or whatever. Oh, I don't have time. I'm so busy. And I'm like, busy doing what? <laughs> you know, you're in your seventies. And, but even still she struggles to make time for herself. So I wasn't taught that mm. growing up, but it was something that I think I just found I needed mm-hmm. without having a conversation about it with anyone. So even as we headed into these bigger world records and things with James, mm. uh, I always made time for myself. I mean, I went back to school as an adult. I graduated when I was 35, wow. just 10 days before James, we left for the 50. Uh-huh. Because I was, like, I was like, I need this. Yeah, I, This is for me and I need this. And if things don't work out in your career, we have a backup plan. I've got a college degree and I can go and support the family mm. while you get your bearings together or whatever. It's like, I needed that. And I wasn't asking permission. Mm. You know, I just did it. So it's important for people to find things that are appropriate. I mean, even just a play group where you get together with other moms and the kids hang out and the moms visit. And, but I think something that women struggle with is they like to commiserate. Mm -hmm. So when they get together with other women, they want to sit and complain about how life, how hard life is, as opposed to empowering one another to live a better life and to have their needs met. So when you have those playgroups, when you do those things, the women should be doing things to empower each other as opposed to sit and commiserate. Yeah. Well, and it's one thing to validate. It's another thing to feed the fire. Yeah. When you, you know, you say, man, that must be really hard. You know, how can I help you? Or what are some things that we can do to, to make this right? As opposed to, mm. oh my gosh, I know. I hate it when that happens. And <laughs> you know, but with women, we want to connect and we want to relate, but we tend to do it in a negative way yeah. as opposed to saying, you know, well, let's, let's figure this out. Let's put our brilliant minds together and come up with a solution and mm. then let's keep each other accountable. So the first thing I wanted to ask you from what we've just talked about, because I wanted to go back to you saying you love a hard challenge. Um, what is, what has been your hardest challenge, either physically or emotionally for you personally? Yeah. I mean, physically, I would have to say doing anything in the heat. Ah. <laughs> so bad. Back in the racing days when it was in the heat, I hate the heat. Mm. I remember in particular one race that it was, you know, almost hundred degrees outside and we're on the blacktop and there's no shade and my body is telling me to find shade. Mm. Like I'm really going into panic mode and I'm talking myself through this and visualizing playing in the snow and things like that. Wow. That experience I'll never forget. That was the, the half Ironman in St. George. Mm. I'll never forget that day. But, um, I have to say, and anybody would um, concur with this, is it, it's hard being married to James because nothing's predictable. Right. And that is probably my greatest life lesson is that I am incredibly organized and I love to be in a routine and mm. in a schedule. And, and everybody's like that, right? Yeah. Everybody loves routine, everybody loves schedule or whatever. But for me, I have had to learn to trust that it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, it's going to be okay if I don't know what the plan is in three months or yeah. it's going to be okay if 
everything's not written out. And even still, I mean, we've been married 20 years and it is still so hard to me because I can, I, I tell this to people all the time. I say, you know what you're doing in six months. Yeah. Well, I have no idea. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. Anything could happen. Mm. And still all these years later, it just is like so hard for me. Mm. That's the beauty of it. That's where I see my growth and development in this whole process is living a life that's completely unpredictable. Because even though you think your life is predictable, anything can happen to you tomorrow too. Mm. Yes. And your life can be completely <laughs> turned upside down. But the difference is, is that I expect my life to always be turned upside down. And that has taught me a lot about myself. It's taught me a lot about life. It's it's taught me a lot about being uncomfortable and mm-hmm. figuring things out and problem solving. But that's definitely probably, I mean, that's definitely without a doubt, the hardest challenge I experience in my life and I experience it every day. And what do you do to keep that or to, you, you know, you say, you just have to say it's okay. It's going to be okay. But what do you do? Because I've, I've read that you talk about setting the tone and keeping the sort of, I guess you haven't said this, but I guess it's steadying the rudder. If mum is fine and keeping everything calm, everybody else will be fine. But what do you, what do you do? That's true because mom, particularly for me, cause I've been in the home. Yeah. Mom creates the sales pitch. Yeah. So either I say, this is going to be the most horrible thing we've ever experienced, or this is going to be the most amazing thing we've ever experienced. Mm. And they're going to believe me, particularly when they're young. Yeah. So throughout this journey, I have had that choice of what my sales pitch is. Yeah. And we do that every day when you meet a person, right? What's your sales pitch? Yeah. And it's interesting how that's evolved over time, you know, with um, the world we live in where everything's put online, mm. people can give you whatever sales pitch they want, yeah. whether it's true or not, right? But we are constantly giving a sales pitch. So for me, I make sure that I acknowledge the fact that anything and everything I ever experience is on me. Right. So whether or not James says, hey, we're going to do the super wild thing, I am in control or, or says, you know, we're going to live life comfortably and not take risks. Those emotions, whatever I feel, they're on me. Mm-hmm. And it's my job to address how I feel about it. Yeah. So when something comes up that is that I hate mm-hmm. or I don't want to do, like heading into this Conquer 100, I was like, I, you know, it, initially the idea was fine until we moved it up to March and it was going to completely turn my year upside down. Mm-hmm. Because as I said, nothing's predictable for us. So we never plan ahead. I, I can never plan ahead. Mm. And I love planning ahead. <laughs> I love planning ahead and having a plan and being organized. And, you know, I don't like to feel rushed. I don't yeah. like to feel pressured. The best way to avoid that is to plan ahead. Well, we've never been able to plan ahead because we've never known how life would be. So finally I say, okay, we are at a stage in our life that we can plan ahead. And I was training 40. And so I was like, I want to do this mountain biking trip. And Uh, I want to do a fun trip with kids for spring break and I want to do all these things and I'm planning ahead. And then James comes to me and says, Hey, you know, all those things you planned ahead, you're going to have to cancel them all for this project. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Cause initially it was fine. Right. Okay. Let's start in the summer. We'll go blah, blah, blah. Cause it was going to be, uh, more than one season. So we're trying to plan out the seasons, Mm. right? Like how are we going to snow? How are we going to, and then he says, Hey, I just keep feeling like I've got to move this to March. And I valued so much his intuition Mm -hmm. about me to change this time. I believe that was God telling him. Mm. And I'm like, if God's telling him to move to March, 
he needs to move to March. But then when I realized what that meant for me, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm not okay with this anymore. You know? (laughs) Yeah. So I had to work through my own issues. Now that's not on James. That's on me. The way I'm feeling and the experiences I'm having inside my heart and soul, those are on me. Mm. So I have to work through those, which in this case entailed having my own conviction and having God tell me it was the right thing to do. And then I knew God would provide. Mm. So I, I mean, it sucked. I had to cancel everything. All these things that I was excited about, all these things I, you know, that's hard. Yeah. Especially when it's been a life of planning around these projects and whatnot. But the thing is, is like, that's what makes it great is the sacrifice. And what do you, sorry to interrupt you. I just, I'm I'm really interested to know how you work through that. And I love that you say you take it on yourself, but what is your, what do you have as your level of communication with him on how much that affects your life? Or does he know that and you just have to work it through on your own? Or do do you feel like you have to talk to him and say, okay, these are the things I need to work through and I'm quite cross about it right now, but I I understand and I'm working on it, but uh, sorry, I'm waffling a little bit, but do you understand? I'm just trying to ask you, how do you mean, how do you make it so that you are not boiling with resentment for even like, and maybe not forever, but for a considerable amount of time. So this even goes back to the original point is that I, the way I handle my emotions is you get the silent treatment for a day. And the reason why is because I'm trying to process what I'm actually feeling. Yeah. Because if in the moment I'm upset and I just ramble off on my lips, I'm mm. going to say about the things I don't mean. Mm. I'm going to address topics and subjects that I don't actually care about. They just are what's on my mind and they come out. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I, I give the silent treatment. You know, like if I'm upset or I'm angry, I'm not going to talk to you. And I'll actually say, it, you know, most people I think at this point know that's how I process emotion. Mm. But if they were to ask, I would say, I need some time to process what I'm feeling. Mm. And so I had taken, I mean, it had been like over a month that I was just trying to work through this. And we went, I was, we were kind of in a fight on our anniversary, which mm. was the beginning of December. And I was like, we need to do something. It's our 20th anniversary. And we always travel mm. for our anniversary. But this year we were getting ready for the hundred and it was quarantine stuff. And, mm. and so I was like, let's just do a staycation. And I was still so bugged about the whole thing. And again, not about the project, but about the fact that it had to change. Yeah. Cause I was like, why do I still have to make sacrifices for this? Like, yeah. And it just go the way I want it to go. This need for like control and organization and structure, right? <clears throat> so we were at our anniversary dinner and he said to me, I can't do this without your support. Mm. And I said, I know, but you can't make me process this faster than I'm ready to. Mm. So I need time to process this. I'm still, and it's the holidays, right? So I'm working through all the holidays yeah. and all these things. It's not really at the top of my list. And I've got four daughters and it can get pretty emotional in this house sometimes, you know, I'm like the order of priority. And so I was like, I just need a couple more weeks. Mm. And so then I legitimately and specifically and intentionally worked on that topic mm. for the next two weeks. And then I came to him and I said, okay, I know it's the right thing to do. Let's do this thing. So the way I process it is looking inside myself and I say, what am I actually mad about? 
Yeah. Am I mad about being the only person to have to make sacrifices? Am I mad about having to turn my life back upside down again? Am I mad about the fact that like, we can't just live a normal life? Yeah. (laughs) All those things I've chosen. I married who I married. I did not marry a a conventional government employee, (laughs) you know, that's going to work one to five and have holidays off. And so I have to process that at where am I victimizing myself and where am I making this about me instead of thinking objectively. Yeah. And I do that through affirmations and through visualization where I release that frustration. You know, I close my eyes. My favorite thing to do, and this is free. So for all of you out there that don't want to pay for therapy, this is how <laughs> you do it for free. You close your eyes and you figure out what emotions boiling. Mm. Give it a color, you give it a texture, you make it an object. You know, it might be bricks, it might be daggers, it might be uh, bubbling black tar, or you may feel like you're stuck in a swamp and you visualize that and you pull it out of your body and you throw it in a fire. Yeah. So, for instance, I'm a Christian and so I imagine Jesus Christ, you know, sucking all of that out of me and pulling out the thorns and the things I'm experiencing or taking the bricks from me. You know, I hand them to Jesus Christ because I believe in the atonement. And then he throws them in the fire. Mm -hmm. If you're not a Christian, you can just take them and throw them in the fire yourself. But then the important part is, is afterwards to fill your body with light. Mm. So for me being a Christian, I imagine Jesus Christ blessing me and filling my body with light where somebody else who isn't of Christian faith can say, okay, I just imagine close my eyes and I see the light start at my head and move all the way through Mm. my body. So you have to release the negative to make room for the positive, but you can't just release the negative because now you've just left this vacant space. You want to let in the light. So that's how I process my emotions because they, I'm in charge of my emotions. Nobody else is. And my experiences don't create my emotions. I create my emotions as a reaction to, you know, and then I clear that all out. And then I say, you know, I pray and I say, is this the right thing? You know, I have faith that you will help me work this out. And, and that doesn't mean there's not still some disappointment, but disappointment is a part of life and it only comes with expectation. So if we change the expectation, then the disappointment changes as well. Yeah. Uh, well, hats off to you. I think that's really a great way of seeing things because I, I mentioned at the beginning, I'm married to a super sporty man and he always has been. And I, some of the things you just said are, you know, and I don't know about you, but I often get told or see people say, oh gosh, you know, oh, he's doing, he's away doing this again, or he's, you know, I can't believe he's off on another project or. Yeah. They want you to commiserate, like, oh, talk you into being mad at him. That's like people do. And, and so for so many years that suited my narrative, it suited my narrative because I was stuck at home with two small kids with no real kind of passion of my own, I suppose, uh, maybe I did, but I buried them or, you know what, what I'm trying yeah. to say. But, and then one day or not one day, but it sort of slowly dawned on me that it's me. I choose, I choose how I feel about this. And I have always supported him on the day, on the project, on the thing. But I, I will be first to put my hand up and say that there's a lot of, had been a lot of boiling resentment about all the things I didn't get to do because of all the projects he was doing. So, um, you know, and as you say, it's a big learning process and however you deal with it, it is way healthier to deal with it than to leave other people to tell you how you feel about it. When I, that's exactly the experience I've had where I have people trying to talk me into being mad at James and I'm like, I'm not mad at him. Why are you mad at him? 
(laughs) You're not married to him. Yeah. I'm like, why do you care? But those are their issues, right? They're like, well, if it Mm. were me, I would feel this way. So you've got to be feeling this way. And you're like, okay, whoa, those are your issues. Don't pass those off to me. Yeah. We get baited into it because as women, we make these connections, right? And so when people Mm. are saying, yeah, that's not fair that he gets to do that and you don't. And you're like, Mm. you're right. That's not fair. But at the same time, it's like, I chose to be a mother. I chose to have five children and I chose to have them that close together. Yeah. Not everybody chooses that, but I did. So what am I going to say? I'm mad at you because I chose to have all these kids so close together and to have so many of them. Mm. That was my choice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I was I loved. So, and that's the thing is how old are your kids now? Uh, 13 and 11. See, and now do you feel this sense of freedom that you used to yearn for when they were Oh, absolutely. Partly because they're older and partly because I made that conscious decision that I was no longer going to be a slave to everything I thought I should be. Mm -hmm. Yep. And your life completely changed. Yeah. A hundred percent. Really almost completely a hundred percent. I mean, I'm the same person, but I'm a better version of me. I like to think. Yeah, completely. I like how you said that to say you're a completely different person would imply that you were a terrible person before and yeah. you don't want to be that person anymore. And that's not the case. Yeah. Right? It's just enhanced. The beautiful things have been enhanced and the not so beautiful yeah. things have been conquered. I think it's more, it's sort of that I said it the other day. It's, it's not a better version of me. As I just said, it's just a, a version of me that I feel happier with. I feel more content with, I feel more authentic. I like to say you bring back to life. So there's some parts of me that have kind of gone dormant that I brought back to life that I'm really enjoying. Exactly. And also learning new stuff, which I'd never dreamed of doing. And actually, I don't know about you and I suspect maybe it's true, but, you know, having, being married to somebody who is so driven and so insanely intent on doing all the things has been an amazing opportunity for me incredible opportunity because I've done things I would never, ever have dreamed of doing before. That's how I feel. I'm like, there are so many things. James knows that his sales pitch to me has to be this gentle, moldable, you know, over time thing. And then I'm like, okay. And then I always love it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Initially when he asked me, I'm like, "Uh no, no, no. And then he's like, I see this look in his face where he's he's like, okay, I've got to go about it gently. And I'm like, <laughs> he knows how he's going to get me to do this thing. But like nine out of the 10 times, I love it. Yeah. I initially had this resistance, right? And I don't know why, but had he been married to somebody else, all that growth that I've had in this relationship, I would have never had. I would have never Yeah. Had. And I'm interested to know, um, sort of going back or about all of this, you've been saying that you've never been able to plan your lives. But at what stage did this happen? So you've been married for 20 years, presumably together for a little bit longer than that. It hasn't, has it always been like this from day dot or did this evolve? And when he decided that this is going to be his career, his sort of way forward. He always resisted a plan. Mm. So even if there was a plan, he was not happy. And so I got, I think I was, I was really confused. I got confused easily Mm. when we were first married because I didn't understand why this plan wasn't working for him. So I'm like, okay, so you go to work, I go to work, you know, and then 
we have some kids and you watch the kids in the morning. And then I, you know, I watch them in the evening and then, you know, I, he, James has always had a lot of freedom. I would, mm. I would say that his is definitely life to envy because he's always had a lot <laughs> of freedom. He's always lived um, a, a very fun life. He's always mm. he's a fun. His personality is he, he wants things to be fun. Yeah. And he's always made that happen. Even if it wasn't necessarily in his best interest mm. over time, I was like, how is this stuff not working for him? And I realized like, if he has to work, he doesn't like it. He's not happy. So he mm. had to find a way to integrate work into play and play into work, which mm. was why he wanted to be a professional golfer and so on and so forth. So, you know, we were married for the first little while. I'm like, how can you not like this quote unquote corporate job where you're providing for your family? We're living comfortably and you're working with a bunch of people you love. Mm. I, I couldn't understand that. Yeah, And it wasn't until we lost everything in the recession. I mean, he used to come home every day from every job he ever had and was like, I'm miserable and I hate my life. And I'm like, how can you hate your life? Like <laughs> you work at a golf course and you golf every day. How, how can you hate that? You know, I, I couldn't process this. Yeah. And then when we lost everything in the recession, he was a mortgage broker and he wanted to be a mortgage broker because it was, it was big paychecks and it was like an easier job. You know, it wasn't mm. like a nine to five. You could do stuff from home before working mm. from home. It's common and popular. And so I was like, but I don't get it. But he just, he was the middleman and he didn't have any control. And, right. you know, the underwriter did this and the buyer did this. And he's the guy in the middle that's getting yelled at. And he had no control over his own destiny or how much money he would make. And he wasn't digging that. And so when we lost everything in the recession, that's when we were like, you know, it's time to take a chance and to, mm. to take a risk. We've already lost everything. There's nothing to lose. Yeah. I mean, if it doesn't work out, then he can just go get a job. And that's when all of this took off when, you know, the world records and everything started. And I realized 10 years in when I wanted to kill him every day for not <laughs> being happy in these comfortable jobs, you know, I was like, what, how could you not? Yeah. That's when I realized 10 years in that he wasn't suited for a conventional life. Yeah. And that's when I realized like, oh, great, this rodeo is going to be a little more exciting than I had anticipated. <laughs> so, but it's kind of worked well for, I mean, this sounds strange, but it's kind of worked well for me to live more of a conventional life and for him to live more of an adventurous life and to yeah. still be married. Yeah. You know, I wanted to go to college where James is like, eh, forget school, who cares, you know? So yeah. it took me forever to finish college because I had so many kids and I, you know, didn't go to school when they were young or whatever. I tried, it was too hard. So I backed off mm. and where I can go to college and he doesn't have to, or I mm. can do things my way and he doesn't have to, like we can yeah. do our own thing together and still be married. That's, that's wonderful. I love hearing that. It's so, it's great. And is he, might be a silly question, but is he happier? Do you feel like those sec the second 10 years have seen a change in his levels of satisfaction. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like as he has embraced the life he wants to live, he's even become better with a conventional life as well. Ah, interesting. You know, but, but then he'll like throw in little things like, Hey, let's like, he's telling people when we retire, we're going to get in an RV and travel around the country. I'm like, well, no, we're not. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, apparently <laughs> when my husband retires, we're going sailing around the world. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm like, 
Okay. I didn't. I wasn't invited. I didn't even talk about this. And I'm like, and he's telling everyone. He knows what the boat's going to be called. And I'm just like, exactly. uh, okay, yeah. And you know, there's the part of you that goes, that sounds really cool. And then there's a the part of you that goes, but where will the kids be? How will they get to us? And when will yeah. we see them? And when will yeah. we be home? And he's just like, can you just say yes that sounds great and we'll figure it out later and I'm like I really struggle a little bit with that (laughs) that's exactly because there's two people and that may be what you want to do but that's maybe not necessarily what I want to do and I said we've already done that we've already traveled the country in an RV yeah I'm not really interested in doing that again so I see those little glimpses where I'm like oh I feel like he's a little better with conventional lifestyle now Mm. but then I'm like is that just because we have kids that mm. I remind him all the time. I say, James, you realize we have kids and they have jobs and school. Yeah, yeah. We can't just pick. Cause he's like, Oh, let's go do this thing. I'm like, dude, we can't, the kids can't get work off. Yeah, they can. I'm like, when you were 17, could you take two weeks off of work? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. But so he still has that mindset that I'm like back to earth, buddy, back to earth. Yeah. Do better with some more conventional things than he used to. Mm. But I would still say that he has not, He's he has no interest in conventional life. <laughs> <laughs> and how was the traveling? I mean, how old were your kids when the, he did the fifty triathlons in fifty states in fifty days? Uh, I we have it memorized because he said it every night at his speech. They were twelve, eleven, nine, seven, and five. Oh my he'd say, god! He said I have five kids. They were twelve, eleven, nine, seven, five. <laughs> so my son was five. He was just starting kindergarten when we finished. Uh huh. Um, and then my oldest daughter, she was still in elementary school. So she was headed into junior high. So mm. 12 to five, they were little. They were Oof. little. And you traveled with him and yep. managed it and managed them and presumably schooling as well. Or was it no, holiday through time? Summer, through the summer. summer. <sighs> yeah. And so people said, why did he, why did he do this during the summer? Those are the worst months in the South. Yeah. You know, it's a hundred yeah. degrees and a hundred degrees, hundred percent humidity, but it was because we wanted to go with him. And so we yeah. needed to be on their summer break. Extraordinary. And so let's touch on the, the Conquer 100, which I followed avidly every day. I followed being in Crocs by day two or whatever it was. I followed the being knocked off the bike. I followed the, the, a little bit of your closet talks and everything. It just, it, it, it must have just been absolutely all consuming for all of you. It was. And that's the thing that separated. That's something I like to explain to people because there's a reason and it's, it makes sense to contrast the 50 and the hundred. Yeah. And I like to tell people they were both just as miserably hard as the other. Yeah. And the reason why is because on the 50, this is what I like to explain on the 50, it was all consuming, but it was just the project mm. where with the hundred, it was twice as long but I had to balance everyday life on top mm. of the project. So it was great because we were at home. So mm. all the problems from the 50 came from logistics, right? The majority yeah. of them. Yeah. 100, when we sit down to do this planning meeting, there's all the problems are gone because they were all logistics. Mm. And for me, I had to balance everyday life on top of this project. Mm. There is not a person in this world other than maybe Lucy, who also was immersed in this project. This is your daughter. Yeah. The one that ran the project for James, not a person in this world could understand how hard that was. Yeah. I mean, it was incredible. And Mm. the kids were, it was great because the kids were still in school. So for them, life felt normal and time went by quickly for them, which 
was part of the thing that made me grateful it was March 1st because mm-hmm. they just kind of did their thing and it ended like 12 days after school was out or something. Yeah. Those last two weeks, they really enjoyed it as the first kickoff of summer. But for them, they just kind of lived their lives. And it was important for me to make sure that they still lived their lives and they were comfortable in their lives. It didn't interrupt what they were doing because this project yeah. was not theirs. Yeah. It was beautiful because they could kind of pipe in when they wanted to. Mm-hmm. enjoyed the journey. And of course they made sacrifices and it was hard for them too, but it wasn't the same as, you know, pausing your life for everything, yeah. you know, um, other than Lucy. So she, of course she was in school and, you know, worked another job till April, mid April, and then ran the whole project for James. Her level was definitely comparable with mine. And we offered each other quite a bit of support. But and how old is she? She is, she's 18. So she wow, was a senior in high school, huge. but she was doing college classes. So she was taking 15 credit hours and doing the project full time. And she had another job that she was contracted to do till the middle of, actually till end of April, but they let her off a couple weeks early out of the contract. So it was an internship. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it was immense to say it was all consuming was perfectly stated other than my life was also all consuming. So how can two things be all consuming? Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think, you know, I mean, that's an extraordinary thing for a girl of that age to, to, well, a a person of that age, never mind a girl, a person of that age to take on. Can you say what she took out of it or what she learned from it? Well, actually it is appropriate for you to say a girl of that age because a lot of the issues she dealt with were people trying to be condescending and disrespectful. Mm. She was a girl. Right. Boy, did they ever have it coming. And they learned very quickly (laughs) that she was not just an 18 year old girl. Mm. She was an incredibly confident and unstoppable 18 year old person. Right. Like she was 30. So the fact that she was a girl did matter because people mm. come at her and she, I was like, Lucy, you get up in their face and you yeah. show them what's up. Right. But she, um, it was incredible for her. I mean, she was born an adult. I like to tell people <laughs> she was born this way, you know, and she is, she has my personality where she's very organized and, um, timely, you know, mm. things are set up. They're timely and she just killed it. I mean, she was fantastic on social media. The problem with the 50 was that we were understaffed and a lot of people wish they could have had more, experienced more. Mm. And so with the 100, we were very intentional to make sure that we let people live vicariously through us by posting enough on social media that they felt like they were here. That they Oh, well, you managed that. It was amazing. So that was very important. So Lucy did an amazing job at not only posting, but creating a routine of expectations. So mm-hmm. people knew what to expect. They knew how to connect. You know, they would get on for the live and the swim in the morning. And then they would, they knew they would see the transition. They knew they would see stuff in the evening. They, you know, we created this, um, a quenching people's thirst with this mm. routine in addition is, to the random stuff. Which is, um, di- more difficult, I would imagine, to do with something like that. Because, you know, if you follow somebody who is, for example, cycling around the world or sailing or doing something, there's sort of always something happening going on. But effectively, he was doing exactly the same thing exactly. Exactly. every day. And to, to make that enticing and interesting and create a community around it is, is difficult. Yeah, every day he's pulling up to the same house, <laughs> the same shot every day getting off yeah. the bike, right? 
But that's what made it incredibly interesting mm. was that nothing was ever the same. Amazing. Every day was different. Every day was chaos. Every day was unexpected between the weather, the emotion, the mood, the injuries, what was happening in the personal life, what was happening behind the scenes with you know the business side mm. of everything. Every day was a complete disaster, which made it different for our viewers. Yeah. And when you say it was <laughs> you know, a complete disaster, what do you mean by that? Um. I like to say the hardest part of the hundred was that there was never a routine. Nothing ever stuck. It was ever changing every minute of every day. So when I would find something that James liked to eat, Mm -hmm. he would like to eat it for two days and then he would change his mind. (laughs) Or he would say, this was one of my favorite things that made me want to punch him in the face. (laughs) He he would come home for a T2 and I would have something ready to eat. I would ask him on the bike when he was getting off, hey, what would you like to eat? So I would prepare food. He would get in and say, I don't feel like it. And I'm like, do you have any idea what it took for me to get this food ready for you? So then I found there, there became this pattern of him not wanting anything coming off mm. the bike. He would say, I'll just eat an hour into the run or something, right? So then he'd come in and be like, how come there's no food? How oh, come there's nothing God. to eat? And I'd say, oh, my gosh. oh my gosh. So, but the thing is, is he's not in his right yeah. mind and he's thinking in the moment and it's pure survival. Mm. And so we had to keep our emotions in mm-hmm. check and just be completely adaptable. Yeah. And so it was like, okay, well, I knew every day if he didn't eat what he what I made him, Aaron would eat it. Right. Right. So coming off because Aaron did every single bike. So I knew I could give it to Aaron. You know, so it, was, yeah. it became these little, like ways of figuring out how to adapt to this ever-changing ever. So every moment was incredibly different, even though we were doing the exact same thing every day. Yeah. So I think we were able to manifest that a little bit in the videos mm. or in social media, uh, what we shared on social media, that people kind of got that vibe of like, I mean, the only thing that was consistent was that we started this one at 530 every yeah. day. That was and then from then and on, you would just it. see how it went. <laughs> yeah. I mean, James's face getting out of the pool was different every day <laughs> because either he was fighting cramps standing up or he was barking at me because the towel wasn't handed to him immediately or, and the thing is, he's not, there's, he doesn't even know what's happening. He yeah. doesn't, you know, it's not, that's not the man I married. It's some guy that's drunk. That's yeah. saying things, you know, how did you cope with that? Because I've seen my husband. I mean, the very first time I met him, I was crewing for him in an adventure race and, and I've seen him in all states of near hypothermia, throwing up shaking, being hospitalized for X, Y, and Z after extreme efforts, you know, properly. And as you say, it's not the person that you love in the times when they're having a go at you or making you cry or whatever. And it's, but I can't, I'm really struggling to imagine how, I, how you fortify yourself for that for two and a half months, uh, three and a half months, three over three months. Well, two ways, really. One, I could talk to Lucy or my friend Felicia or my friend Carly. Like when I was upset, I'd be like, oh my gosh, she said this thing. And I'm like so mad about it, but I'm like processing it. Right. And they're all people who love him. And so they're not going to judge what happened and they understand what's happening. Right. So I could like vent to them and be like, I want to kill him. I, you know, or, (laughs) or even not just him, but other people, Mm -hmm. other experiences during the journey. Right. I had that social experience support for my emotional support. Yeah. And the other way is, is one, I knew it was not the man that yeah. I knew. I, the person I saw on this hundred was a person I've never seen. Wow. I've never seen this James. And I, so I knew it wasn't him, 
But I also knew it was only temporary. Mm-hmm. So when you know, I, I, I send out a lot of compassion to somebody who's struggling with life that doesn't have an end point. Yeah. yeah. Let's say, you know, they have a special needs child or they have uh, a husband who's away at war, yes. but they don't know when he's coming home. Yeah. I mean, that is not what I was doing. Yeah. I knew there was an end point. Those, those people I send out my deepest amount of compassion when their life is unpredictable and they actually don't know when the hardship's going to end. A single mom who is fighting and fighting and fighting to provide for her kids and to take care of her kids and make time for herself. And I send out my deepest and utmost compassion for them because they don't know when that's going to end. Where for me, I knew there was an end date. Yeah. You know, and it moved by one day, but to say, I, I just need to make it to then and then it all ends. So that mattered. And actually, you know, Casey Wingman, Casey wife, his wife, Ryan is a friend of mine. And she and I both were like, but we know it's not really going to end on that end date because the 50 dragged out for so long (laughs) after, but emotionally we were prepared for it to drag out a little bit longer, which it did for, for both, Mm. you know, especially for me where, you know, it took me another two months for the hundred to be finished dragging yeah. out with all the things we had going on to finally be able to decompress. I mean, I finally started decompressing mm, know, a month ago. Mm. It was much further after. So, and talking of the, the, the aftermath or the legacy, what, what is it, what are you going to do for you now? Cause you've got some future plans just for you, hopefully. Well, we keep yeah. our fingers crossed, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yes, actually. And James and I, we had actually explored doing some things together and fortunately, both of us were like, eh, this isn't really working. We don't like the vibe. You know, it just, both of us were kind of like, this mm. isn't right. And we are both doing our own separate things, which we, I definitely feel better mm-hmm. about. Um, but I, I want to be the world's greatest female speaker. And the reason why is because I don't realize the insight I have until I have a conversation mm somebody's eyes are big and they're like, wait, what? And I'm like, what do you mean? What? And I just say it again. And they're like, what? Though everybody needs to yeah. hear this. And I'm like, here, what? because you don't realize the knowledge and wisdom, wisdom you have until somebody brings it to your yeah. attention. To me, it's my life. It's just normal. It's what I do. I don't think twice yeah. about it. And, you know, I have a lot of people, I get a lot of podcast requests and I get, you know, people that want me to come speak to them. They want me to connect. And so I'm like, you know what? That's what I'm yeah. meant to do. I, I I truly believe that God wants me out there connecting with women, connecting with people and, and not just, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but I, I truly believe this is my calling. And I know the timing isn't quite right, but right now I'm putting some kindling on that fire. When it's time to strike that match, that fire will yeah. blow. But my son's, my son's only 12. He, you know, he's still in elementary school. So I'm not quite ready for that. But right now I'm building onto that. And I believe, you know, in five years that it'll be the right time. I love it. I love that. And I, as you said to me earlier, you just start to feel that sort of little stretch of freedom, the apron strings loosening and this kind of, kind of exciting bubbling feeling of, Ooh, I could do this. That would be so cool. And what, what, knowing that's what I yeah, it's so it feels good. I take it. Yeah. yeah. And what is what will your message be? What is your what do you hope for? I'm assuming well, the five, next five years you will have added to that message as well. But yeah, for sure. Because who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> next week, who knows? 
you know, it's like the hundred, we planned the hundred six months before mm-hmm. it happened. I, I mean, who knows, but really it's, we're all, we all have our mm-hmm. own journey. So even though I am with James on his journey, his journey is not yeah. my journey. I have my own journey. And that journey entails my own growth, my own perspective, my own experiences and building on that as and my own independent person, mm. as well as being a mother, right? My journey is not the same as my children's. Mm. And my job as their mother is to encourage them on their journey, not to control their journey, not to tell them what their journey is, but to help them find their own yeah. journey and to support them through their journey. So, you know, in this family of what appears to be our entire lives revolve around James. That's not actually what's happening. And I want to make that clear to people who see what we have and think it's something it's not right. It's there, there's a journey for each of us inside of what the world sees as the journey. I love it. That's amazing. And where can we follow you? How can we get on board with the Sunny Joe Lawrence train? So my, my Instagram handle is just Sunny Joe Lawrence. You know, I'm on I'm Facebook too, Sunny Joe Hatfield. Long, Amazing. Whatever. I will put that on the show notes. Now, you have a very interesting challenge, Katie, for me. So, essentially, reflect on your life, whatever number of items you feel is appropriate, really, but, you know, five or 10 items in your life that you, you know, you want to look at and decide what is contributing to your growth mm-hmm. and what is taking away from mm-hmm. your growth and figure out how to implement more of what is contributing and to eliminate what is taking away from your growth. Oh, I think that's just absolutely fantastic. Uh, Very thought provoking. And actually, you're right. Actually, having had this conversation, there were already things that made me think, oh yeah, good point. I could be thinking about that too. So thank you. I think that's a really, uh, a beautiful challenge. Uh, Probably, hopefully a an actual challenge because sometimes that, you know, that requires a little bit of truth talking with yourself sometimes. Well, and you can throw it in the fire. I I love that. What is your, what is your uh, suggestion or challenge? Oh gosh, I have one for you. Um, Now that you've had this conversation, you know, what do you think? What, how could I improve or how can I be better? Oh, well, I'm not have? sure that I can think of anything that would be better. Um, I can't think of one, but I tell you what I will do. I'll think of one and then I'll let you know and I'll put it in the, um, I'll put an extra bit on the end after I've had to think about it because I've okay. never Love in my it. life been very good at thinking on the spot of things like that. So <laughs> there you just challenged me <laughs> without meaning to challenge me. <laughs> I like it. I like to be a little surprised. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. A little bit surprised. Thank you so, so much for your time and your amazing energy. I, as I say, only have a small inkling of what it is to be in a life supporting a man with crazy dreams. So I absolutely take my hat off to you. It's very impressive. And I, I have learned a lot and I will put it into good practice about, you know, writing your own road, so to speak. Well, we are the same, <laughs> right? We're all just people trying to support the people we love and to keep our own identity and to learn and grow on our own. And your and my journeys are quite similar, even though they seem very different. Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful that you asked me to be on your show today. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I will keep following and I'll think of that challenge. 
Okay. Thanks, Katie. Cheers. Just a quick outro for you that I don't normally do, but I did promise a challenge for Sunny. And at the second I hung up from her, I immediately knew what it was that I was going to ask her to do. So I emailed her and said that even though it's a while away, write your first talk now, plan it around three key points and add to it when you feel like it. Rewrite it every now and again, keeping each version to see how it has evolved over the years and never be afraid to start all over again. And certainly never be embarrassed by what you thought was important in the early iterations. Practice it out loud at every opportunity. I coach public speaking and presentation skills. And I always tell people that if they're not practicing out loud, they're not practicing at all. In the car, walking the dog, on your bike, to your iPhone camera, just take a tiny section and practice how it sounds, especially your opening gambit. And thirdly, allow this to be something you can plan properly in a way that satisfies your need for long-term planning and commitment. You may not be able to plan when you give it, but you can plan how you give it and no one can ever take that away from you. I really hope that she liked my challenge and that she takes me up on it because I think she has a pretty good shot at being the world's greatest female speaker because her attitude, her experience, her sense of humor, uh, her voice, everything lends itself really well. And I look forward to seeing how she gets on with that. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back next week with some more great chat with another amazing woman. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.